A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. These were the kind of things people were saying, aren't they? This is the sort of stuff that happens when Jesus comes around. When Jesus comes around, young men who are dead sit up and start talking. And Jesus causes quite a stir among those who he visits. A great prophet, they thought. A great prophet. wonder why they thought of that right away. It's likely, isn't it, that they associated Jesus with something that they had heard about or seen before. After all, whenever someone comes around, we try to fit them in to who they're like. In sports, this is always the way that it goes. So some great athlete rises up and people say, oh man, he's the next Michael Jordan. Oh man, he's the next Tom Brady. I should have come up with a Kentucky basketball player, but... um, I just don't know them all that well. You'll have to forgive me. But you see what I mean. We associate new people, new things, with what we already know. And so when Jesus raises this young man and gives him back to his mother, what else are they supposed to think? A great prophet. Man, it's like Elijah is back. Jesus was certainly a prophet. When you think of who Jesus was, you can call him the Christ, right? We call him Christ, not because that's his last name, but because that's his office. He is the anointed one, which is what Christ means. And if you remember back to your days of confirmation, or maybe you heard this in Bible class somewhere, we call him the Christ because he is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. We call it the threefold office of Christ. And here's the spoiler alert. Today's sermon is all about Jesus as the prophet. But just think of why they associated Jesus with Elijah. Think of this story that we heard in the Old Testament. It kind of picks up right in the middle. If you were here last week, you know how the story started. Elijah went up into a region of Sidon, far outside the boundaries of Israel. And there he came and he visited this woman who had given up all hope. She was a widow. And there was a famine in the land, and so Elijah came, and Elijah said, hey, bring me a drink of water and bring me a little bit of bread. And she said, haven't you heard? There's a famine, Elijah. We don't have that around here. In fact, in fact, right now, I'm just about to prepare the very last meal for me and my son, my son and me, I should say. And we're going to eat our last meal, and then we're going to lay down and die because the famine is that extreme. And Elijah said, no, it's not going to go like that. Look, I'm a prophet. Just bring me something to eat first. And then you'll find that your jar will not run out and your oil will be supplied. And that's what happened, right? We heard that last week. But now Elijah has a problem, or the widow has a problem, because that miraculous deliverance of her and her son from the famine seems to have only served to bring her more grief. What is this you have done to us? Did you save us just so that we would experience a deeper sadness? Now my son has fallen sick and he has died. Did you come all the way up here to Sidon just to rub it in on us, Elijah? Look, we had it all planned out. We knew that things weren't good, but we had made, you know, friends with despair. We had a plan. We were going to eat our last meal. We were going to lay down. But you got our hopes up, you prophet of the Lord. And now... My son has died. So she goes to Elijah with that complaint. And Elijah gives her what prophets give, a sign. 
Now, usually we don't associate signs and prophets, do we? Usually, when we think of someone as a prophet, we think of words. Prophets prophesy. Prophets preach. Prophets proclaim. But time and time again throughout the Old Testament, the Lord was teaching his people to expect not just words, but also signs. Prophets are certainly mighty in word. You can read through all of the prophets. You can see how they speak the truth to power. And they do it quite convincingly. But when you read through the Old Testament, you also see that the prophets are not just word men. They're not just talkers. They are also doers. And in fact, this is a reflection of the Lord himself. God always wants to deal with us in these two ways, with his word, certainly, and with his sign. Word and sign. They come together. It's a package deal with the prophets. Prophets come preaching. Prophets come prophesying. Prophets come proclaiming. And they also deliver signs. And those signs aren't just kind of neat magic tricks, right? Sometimes I think we we get this impression that all of Jesus' miracles are just kind of like proofs, you know? Like sort of tricks that he could do to prove to everyone, I'm really God. (laughs) That's what the devil wanted Jesus to do, remember? When the devil tempted him in the wilderness, he took him up to the high pinnacle of the temple and he said, hey Jesus, why don't you throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and everyone will see how God delivers you and then everybody will know that you're really special. Jesus doesn't do signs just to show everyone who he is. Now certainly that happens, right? If you can walk on water, if you can multiply five loaves of bread to feed 5,000 people, if you can heal the sick, if you can raise the dead, people get the impression that you're someone pretty important, maybe even the Son of God. But these signs that Jesus did were not simply proofs of his divinity. They were signs like the prophetic signs of old. And all of those signs that the prophets gave, whether we're talking about Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or any of the rest, all of those signs were signs of the kingdom. That is, signs of what God wanted to continue to do for his people. So just think of Elijah raising up this widow's son. Certainly it was a nice thing to do for the widow. Certainly she was glad when it happened. Certainly it was a great thing for that little boy, right? But it was also a sign for everyone else. It wasn't just a nice thing for the widow and for the boy. It was a sign for everything else of what the Lord could do. That the Lord could raise his son from the dead. That the Lord could bring to life even dead Israel. And if you know about Israel in the days of Elijah under King Ahab and the wicked Queen Jezebel, you know, you know that the people were looking around saying, man, we don't have much hope, do we? We're as good as dead. What could God do for us? And then a word comes that there's this prophet up in Zarephath who's raising the dead. And maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, God would visit his people and bring out of the dying bones of Israel new life. That's what prophetic signs were always meant to do. They weren't just cool magic tricks. They weren't things Jesus could pull out of his sleeve when the people were getting a little bored or losing their interest. Wouldn't that be great if the pastor could do magic tricks when your attention span started to fade? Jesus doesn't do signs like that, so I don't either, okay? Jesus' signs are like the signs of the prophet's. 
They are prophetic signs like Isaiah performed, like Jeremiah did, like Ezekiel did. And we want to see this morning just what Jesus meant by raising that man from the dead and giving him back to his mother. But let me just kind of push this point a little further about what the signs of the prophets were really meant to do. See, because I think no matter how often I say this to myself, I always just fall back into thinking, well, they're like magic tricks. They're like little proofs that the prophets would do just to show everybody, you should pay attention to me. But let me remind you of some of the signs that the prophets did. God told the prophet Isaiah to go about naked for three years. Now, that's not the kind of sign you want your pastor to perform, is it? That's not the kind of sign that you say, oh man, we should really pay attention to that guy. That's the kind of sign that gets people talking, to be sure, but pushes a point home. The point of that sign of Isaiah going around naked for three years was to show the people what would happen to Egypt. Well, who cares about that, right? Well, he was showing them that if you put your trust in Egypt, you're putting your trust in those who are going to be led away ashamed and naked. Let me give you another example, the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah lived at a time when Nebuchadnezzar was coming into Judah and taking over everything. And God told Jeremiah that he should buy up some property, you know, kind of a bad investment. Buy up this property that the king of Babylon is about to steal away from you. And so Jeremiah did. He wasted his money. Again, not the kind of sign that you want your pastor to do, hopefully, right? You wouldn't wish that on me, would you? But it was a sign that the Lord was buying up the land, that there would be a time when that land of his people would be free again from the king of Babylon. Or, or maybe, if none of those ring too many bells, think of Ezekiel. You've all walked down the bread aisle, haven't you, and seen Ezekiel bread on the shelf? Ezekiel bread is supposed to be extra healthy, right? It's made from all kinds of ingredients. But when Ezekiel made that bread in his book, it was a sign of judgment. He was supposed to eat this bread that was a sign of the coming exile on his people, or I should put it this way, the sign of the coming siege of Jerusalem. So if you're going down the aisle, just kind of as an aside here, don't buy the Ezekiel bread. That's the bread of suffering. That's the bread of siege. That's the bread of destruction. But my point here in reminding you of all of these signs of the prophets is that when people saw these signs, they were seeing the word of God enacted. They were seeing the word of God not just as a magic trick or not just as an attention getter. Hey, pay attention to me. But there was always a message in the sign. The sign was never given for itself. The sign was meant to convey a bigger picture. And it's the same way with our prophet, Jesus. Jesus is the anointed prophet of God. He is the prophet of all prophets, the prophet par excellence. And when we see Jesus, we certainly hear him preaching. We see his powerful word. When he preached, the people said, wow, teaching with authority. This guy is different. But we also see, again, God's intention. We see God's habit of dealing with his people, not only with words, but also with signs. 
And so everywhere Jesus goes, you know these stories quite well, he's touching things. And everywhere Jesus is touching things, life is springing up in the place of death. Health is springing up in the place of sickness. Hope is springing up in the place of despair. Jesus' healings are a prophetic sign if you are paying attention. They aren't just kind of nice things that he did for a few random people, but they are signs for everyone, you included today. Now, on the one hand, Jesus' healings, well, they sure seem like they're not planned out, do they? When we hear this gospel reading today, we don't get the impression that Jesus was sitting around with his disciples and saying, now, where can we find a widow who also has one son, and the son is going to die, and we can, you know, meet up with them in the gate of the city, and we can have this big public... It wasn't planned out, was it? At least not in human terms. But his father so orders our Lord's ministry that even when it seems like Jesus is just sort of responding on the spot, spontaneously looking out on this woman and going and doing something good for her, even then... His actions have this bigger significance. Jesus lists all of his healings as the signs that the kingdom of God has come in him. So just think of the sign that Jesus gives to you today, the sign that St. Luke has recorded for you in his gospel. Here comes this widow, and put yourself in her shoes for a minute this morning. You've already lost your husband, your spouse, which is a terrible kind of a grief, isn't it? Some of you know this very well, and the rest of us, we know that one day it's likely going to happen. When a spouse loses the other spouse, whether it's a widow or a widower, it's as if the whole past goes into the dark. All of those memories, all of those experiences, all of the things that they shared are now, it's not that they didn't happen, but they're silent. And so this woman has, in a very real sense, kind of lost her past. She is a widow, but at least she has her son, right? At least she has this one and only son. Now, some of you have lots of children, and so maybe this is lost on you. But others of you have only one child, and you know how special that one child is. All of the future rides on this one son, Maybe she's lost her past, she thinks, but at least I've got my boy, and he's really good. After all, only children are always really special, aren't they? And then he gets sick, and we don't know what he died from. We don't know whether it was some sudden catastrophe or if it was a long-time illness, but he dies. And now this woman is without her past, without her husband, and really, what does she have left? What does she have left? She's got stuff, right? She's got a house. She's got a home. But no husband, no son, no family. She's got a few friends there in the city of Nain, but we're not told that they're all that close. Maybe they're just there out of obligation. This is what we do in the city of Nain when someone dies. We all go out in the procession, and we look on the woman, and we say, wow, I'm glad I'm not her. She's lost everything, hasn't she? Her past and her future are gone. Widowed and now sonless, past forgot and future gone. No wonder she weeps at the gate. And then we're told that Jesus saw her. 
And the place is always significant with Jesus. The place is never just kind of a random place. There they meet in the gate. And again, here, we don't live in ancient cities, so we don't really see everything that corresponds. That's why I have a job, right, to point these things out to you. The gate was the place where legal decisions were rendered. The gate was the place, well, kind of like the courthouse, where you would go if you had some kind of a problem. And if you were a widow, the gate was especially important to you because it was there that you would find justice. It was in the gate that you would find help. And so here comes this widow weeping with death looming all over her. Here comes this crowd all around her. And in the gateway, the Lord sees. And he renders a judgment. A judgment that comes, Luke tells us, from his compassion. Now again, we are so used to this. We are so used to Jesus acting in compassion. And the Gospels quite often point out that Jesus did these things because of compassion. But what is so characteristic of our Lord, what is so common with him, is never common for us. See the compassion of the Lord Jesus in how he deals with this widowed and childless woman. Do not weep, he says to her. And then he gets kind of dramatic. Here's where, again, Jesus, the great prophet, really comes to the fore. Jesus could have, couldn't he? He could have just said, young man, I say to you, arise. We know that Jesus often healed people that way from a distance, from afar. But Jesus walks right up. He has terrible funeral etiquette, doesn't he? He walks right into the procession. He doesn't pull over, but he walks right up and he touches the open coffin. Now, just think of what you would do if you saw someone go into a procession with their car, get out of the car, open the hearse, pull out the casket, lift up the lid, and put his hand. You, we would all freak out, wouldn't we? And even more, the Jews would freak out because, because death, well, death is like cooties. It spreads. When you read the Old Testament, you come across this again and again. Do not touch. Don't go into a house where there's a dead body. If there's an animal that gets into one of your vessels and it dies in there, you've got to break the vessel because you don't want death to spread. That might seem like kind of an old-fashioned, I don't know, kind of a strange old custom for Israel, but it points out something very true, doesn't it? That in this world, death reigns. And death spreads, and wherever death goes, hope gets swallowed up. Jesus goes and he touches the dead body. He puts a halt to the funeral procession, and he brings there the sign of his kingdom, that no longer will death spread, but now through him, life has come. Life has come that swallows up death. And so life has come for widows, for children, for each and every one of you. Here is the sign that Jesus performs for us, not just an act of compassion for that woman, not just something neat that the little boy could tell all of his friends about. Don't you wish that Luke had recorded? What did he say when he sat up, right? It says he sat up and he started talking. Well, what did he talk about? If you've been dead for a couple of days and you're suddenly brought back to life, what do you talk about? What do you say? We're not told. Maybe someday you can ask him yourself. But the sign that Jesus performs here, the sign that he performs for her is also done for you. Remember, this is how prophets 
work. They speak the word of God and they perform these wonderful actions so that in their actions you may see a sign of the kingdom of God. In the gateway, the Lord redeems his people. He judges for his people. He brings life where death reigns. That's cool, isn't it? But if that's all that we can say, that Jesus used to do things, that he used to perform these signs, there used to be these wonders that people could see, we're not really getting everything that our Lord wants us to get. After all, they could say that a prophet rose among them and God visited them, but what about you? Has Jesus ceased to be a prophet? Has he left you without the word and without any signs? Or do we still have a prophet mighty in word and in deed? Does the Lord still give to his people, to you today, his word and his sign? Surely you know the answer, don't you? Surely you know how the Lord still deals with his people in this way. He gives his word proclaimed and he delivers also his signs. Of course, we don't call them signs, do we? We call them sacraments. But I want you to see this morning that what Jesus used to do in his healings, he still does for you now. You still have a prophet who comes to you with a sign. Of course, the trouble is, we are really used to these signs. The signs that Jesus gives to his church, holy baptism and holy communion, are repeated signs done over and over and over and over and over and over. And what happens when something is done over and over again? You just kind of get used to it. No big deal. Just Jesus coming into our midst. Just a great prophet arising among us. Just a sign of the kingdom of God that he will wash away our sins, that he will feed us with the food of everlasting life. No big deal. A great prophet has arisen among you. Christ has died for your sins. He has risen from the dead and he has not laid down his prophetic office. He has not ceased to speak to his people and he has not ceased to give you signs. Here in the bath of holy baptism, here in the meal of holy communion, we have the prophetic signs that give what they symbolize. The forgiveness of sins, unity with Christ, the promise of everlasting life. And just like it was for that widowed, childless woman, so it is for you. We live in a world where death reigns, where hope is hard to find. And if you pay attention to the world around you, you know just how hopeless people are. What's the point? Have you just come? Have you gotten our hopes up just to bring us into deeper ruin? Point people to the signs that do not disappoint. Point people to the signs of Jesus Christ, who is greater than any any political promise, who is greater than any other hope in this world. For with Jesus, we have a sign that does not disappoint. And so we have pasts that are forgiven. We have futures that are full, not of disappointment, but full of hope. For here we have the signs that Christ has given, not just for you, but for the whole world. Do you realize what the church has been given to do? We have been given to be this prophetic community, this signpost to a dying world that is trapped under the reign of death. But here in this place, you are brought into the signs of Jesus, and so you become a little sign to the world yourself. 
After all, isn't that what happens? Christ feeds you with his own body and blood so that you may go out from this place full of hope, so that you may go out from this place full of joy, so that you may go out into a world that is trapped under the reign of death and proclaim to everyone in word and in sign that there is a Lord of life who has come, that he has touched you, that he has put an end to the reign of death, and in its place he has brought his gracious reign of life. A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.